Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Jesus often spoke to the crowds in parables. These stories of everyday people and everyday places point us towards a spiritual story, a heavenly reality, if only we would look to see. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. to the team that are putting all these videos together for us for this series. There have been uh, fantastic videos and really great introductions to, uh, to our messages. I wonder what you would do if you found $100 like that on the side of the road. I wonder what you would do with it. I also wonder what those uh, couple of uh, Queensland blokes or, or ladies are doing this weekend as they contemplate what they're going to do with the $50 million that they uh, picked up in the Powerball jackpot this week. If, if that's you here this morning or maybe you're listening online, more than happy to sit down with you and have a chat about, uh, about how you know, I might be able to help you uh, with, that, uh, with that predicament that you find yourself in. But hey, when you read the Gospels, you actually discover that Jesus talked a lot about money. He actually talked about money more than he talked about prayer. And he talked about money more than he talked about hell. And he used uh, a number of parables to to, to do that. You know, for Jesus, money was pretty important. And it's important for us today as well. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, at a number of parables. And we've found that parables tell us simple stories of everyday people and places that Jesus used to communicate spiritual truths. Parables make a really simple point for us and provide a significant challenge for our everyday lives. And the parables that Jesus told invite the the listener to to view the human experience through the worldview created by the parable. These parables challenge the way we see things. They make us re-examine our perspective and they speak to the lens through which we see our world. Having the right perspective 
is really important in these parables. And having the right perspective is really important in our lives. My son, uh, Saxon, has really bad eyesight. Uh, he didn't inherit that from his dad. Apparently, you inherit your eyesight from the, the mother's side of the family. Uh, Lauren, has got 20-20 vision, can see perfectly. But somehow, poor old Saxon is blind. Blind, well, not quite fully blind, but he's, he's got this script. If you're, if you're um, familiar with the optometrist script, he's got a script of plus eight plus eight. I've got a minus two, and if I take my glasses off, I can just see blurs. But he's got a plus eight, which means he can see long distances really well, but up close, he really struggles. Without glasses, it's just a blur and a fuzzy kind of bunch of squiggles on a page. And did I mention as well, he's colorblind. Poor kid, he got, uh, he got the, the double, uh, double trouble there, but his sister is, uh, is merciless. His sister Zaylee, she's five years old, and, um, and she loves making fun, despite us parents trying to e- educate her not to. She loves making fun of Saxon's color blindness. Poor old Saxon can't really tell the difference between, or, uh, between green and brown, so she will uh, often say to Saxon, hey, Saxon, what color's that tree? Really harsh. He doesn't know whether it's green or, or brown. She's really subtle sometimes. Sometimes she can just be really blunt. And more than one occasion, she's just popped out with these great words. Hands up if you're colorblind. <laughs> Poor old Saxon. Uh, <clears throat> but that's how he sees the world. And we're early on, we just thought he was a slow learner. Well, we thought that he struggled just to get his colors right. We thought that he was just struggling to pick up letters and numbers. Until we were encouraged to go and get his eyesight checked. And so we went along to the optometrist, and, uh, and they did all the tests and all the various things, and they discovered that he's got this plus eight uh, problem with his eyes. They couldn't really do anything about the color blindness, but they could fix his vision. And so I was there on the day when Saxon got his glasses, and we were in the, uh, the optometrist kind of rooms, and uh, they said to Saxon, here, Saxon, put these glasses on. And so he picked them up, and he put them to his eyes, and this giant smile came across his eyes as as things came into perspective for him. And I was sitting there right next to him, and of course, with my son smiling, I beamed as well. And then he turned to me and said, Daddy, you have teeth. (laughs) I, I don't know what he thought I had in my mouth, but to him it was just a blur of white. But suddenly with these glasses, Saxon could see. His world came into the right perspective. He he could distinguish the letters and the numbers on the page. Instead of a blurry, fuzzy mess, it was sharp and in focus. His worldview had changed. And in the same way, we see the world through certain lenses. Depending on our, our beliefs, our understandings, the experiences we've had, we interpret things around us in a certain way. And just like a pair of glasses, our, our worldview will shape how we see the world and how we see certain things in the world. Now, the parables that Jesus told invite the original listener and today's reader to view the human experience through the worldview that the parable creates. If the parable is like a house, that the, the reader is invited into. And then the person is urged through that parable to look out 
from the windows of that house to see the world around them. And the parable that we're going to look at this morning looks at God's worldview on wealth, on money, and on possessions. And within this parable, there are, are two really different worldviews. Two really different worldviews. There's the prevailing worldview in our culture, a worldview of selfishness, a worldview of greed, a worldview that says, get as much as you can. An example of this, uh, this worldview is the, the movie Wolf of Wall Street with, uh, with Leonardo Di- DiCaprio, who, who he, plays a, uh, he plays, I almost completely messed that up. I'm not sure if you noticed. It was almost going to be Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> but I didn't say that, oh, but I did. Uh, anyway, he plays this stockbroker. It's not, I would not suggest it's family viewing. Don't go home and watch it with your kids. Uh, but he plays a stockbroker, and his whole objective is to get as much as he can, no matter what the cost. For those of you who, who maybe uh, were, were presented with this idea in the 80s, that the, the Wolf of Wall Street was actually based on a movie called Wall Street with Gordon, Gordon Gecko as the main character. And his uh, catch cry was, greed is good. Greed is good. And that's one of the worldviews that we can have when it comes to wealth and money and possessions. You know, that greed is good. It's all about me. And, uh, and the catch cry is, is, get as much as you can. Get the big house, the fast car, all the toys. But one of the dangers of living in this worldview is it creates fear. It, it creates fear that what we have isn't enough. Fear that one day we'll get caught out, we'll end up broke. We won't be able to cover the, 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 the various expenses in our lives. And we see this fear played out regularly through TV ads. You may have seen those ads where they kind of have the, uh, the industry super fund. You know, it's kind of become synonymous over the last few years, this little symbol. And often in these ads, they, uh, they have two different people. One who invests their money with the product that's advertised through the ad, and the other one who doesn't. And they fast forward a, a few years and they tell the viewer, hey, if you invest in this fund, you're going to be such and such better off. They're tapping into that fear that we don't have enough. And now, I, my undergrad was in commerce and, and business, and I, I appreciate the effects of compound interest just as much as the next person. I'm not saying that wealth is bad, but it's our perspective on it. And those ads are really effective at tapping in to, to this fear that whatever you have isn't enough. You need more. Greed is good. And it's a worldview of selfishness that says it's all about me. But the biblical worldview is completely different. Now, the biblical view when it comes to wealth and money and possessions is a completely different perspective. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, with the biblical worldview, we see money and possessions completely differently. Everything is the Lord's. God owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all His. So when He gives things to us, when when He blesses us with resources, we're really not ultimately the owners of those resources. We're simply stewards. And from this perspective, life isn't about 
how much you can get. But it's about how well you take care of the things that you've been given. So this morning, as we, as we delve into this parable of the rich fool, I want us to keep these two opposing worldviews kind of front and center. They're the worldview of selfishness and the worldview of stewardship, because we see both of them played out in Jesus' teaching. So I encourage you this morning, if you've got your Bible, uh, open it with me. We're going to read from Luke chapter 12. Perhaps you've got a, an app on your phone. You can also pull that up. Uh, we can also read along on the, uh, the screens as well. But right from verse 13, right from the start of this little section of Scripture, we see this worldview of selfishness laid out for all to see. Right front and center for, for all to see. Verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this person in the crowd, he wants more money. He's not happy with what he got, with what he has got. And so he wants more. He wants Jesus to tell his brother to divide the family inheritance with him. So obviously what's happened is that this man's father has passed away and has passed the inheritance as per custom on to the eldest son in the family. But the eldest son can choose to do with it whatever he wants. He doesn't have to give it to his brothers or his sisters or anyone else. It's up to him to decide what to do with that inheritance. But here is this man asking Jesus, hey Jesus, can you come and step in? Can you enable my selfishness? Can you enable my greed? Can you tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance? And Jesus uses this question as a jumping off point to teach into this whole worldview of stewardship. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Now this story, this parable is all about a foolish man who lived a life of selfishness. This guy is already well off. He's got land He's got barns. He's got plenty already. Yet one harvest time, he ends up with more than he needs. He ends up with a surplus. But he's selfish. Greed has consumed him. And it starts to get messy. See, a, a worldview of selfishness leads to greed. And greed grows more greed. Hey, the rich man in this parable has more than enough, more than he needs more than he can even fit in his current barns. But in his greed, in his selfishness, he tries to keep hold of it all for himself. And you'll notice he doesn't consult with family, doesn't even talk to friends. He starts his internal monologue saying, what am I going to do with what I've been given? And in the, his conversations with himself, he decides that in order to hold on to it all, in order to kind of retain it all for himself, that he's going to go and build bigger barns. And he doesn't want to give it away. He doesn't want to use it to bless anyone else. He wants to keep it all for himself. 
It's all about him. And the, the New King James actually puts this, uh, this verse under the microscope, and we're just going to read it from the New King James for a minute. And it actually is mind-blowing how many times Jesus says that this guy in the story is using the word my. Let's read this. It says, So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. It's all about me. It's me, 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 me. It sounds like my young kids. You know, I'm not going to share. You can't have it. It's mine. Yeah, it's really foolish and immature in a, in a five-year-old, but even more so in an adult, this whole attitude. And because greed grows more greed, he's establishing a precedent. He's establishing a precedent here. You know, just say he went and built those bigger barns that could contain all of his uh, surplus for the year. What about next year when there's an even bigger crop and he can't fit it in those barns? Now, the precedent that he's setting is that greed grows more greed, and so he'll just go and build bigger barns and become a, a, a continuing journey of greed. And this is the problem with greed. It grows more greed. In another translation, greed is translated as insatiable desire, a desire that, that is continually wanting more and more, a desire that says, even though you've got all that you need, that's no longer enough. This is one of the challenges, one of the problems with this selfish worldview. And when we live this worldview, we just want more and more. But we're never satisfied because greed grows more greed. I remember when I was a bit younger, I was really, really challenged by this whole perspective. And I, um, I went out to get a, a new mobile phone. It was released new to market. Nobody else had it out there. And I went to the shop and I made sure that day one I got one of these brand new phones. And I kind of thought I was in this cool, I'm ahead of the curve, nobody else has got this phone. And then suddenly I was like, hang on, oh, I need a case to go with this phone. And then I need some other accessories to go with this phone. And it'd be really great to have the smartwatch that goes with this phone. And, and I just caught myself thinking in that moment, oh, I've got this brand new thing, but I'm not satisfied. Oh, I want more. And greed grows more greed. And greed also distorts our priorities. And Jesus continues with this parable. After the man decides he's going to store all of this extra grain in his new barns, that the man continues with his monologue. He says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. As we just saw, this young man in the parable, he wanted it all for himself. He wanted to hold on to all that wealth and then just take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This was his priority. Keep everything for himself and just rest on his laurels for a good few years. And the rich fool, he even uses scripture here to justify himself. He, he, he quotes from uh, elsewhere in the Bible a line from Ecclesiastes. He says that in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the author writes, So I commend, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. No, but this is a classic case of taking Scripture out of context. No, the book of Ecclesiastes spends the whole time kind of articulating that everything in life is like a, a breath, like a vapor. 
Everything is meaningless other than knowing God and following His commandments. And this verse that the man quotes from actually continues, and it says, For this will remain in him his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. See, the rich young fool, or the rich fool, fails to recognize that all of this, the land, the excess grain, even the days of his life, everything is a gift from God. This bloke has got his priorities all wrong. To him, life is just one big party. Put your feet up, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But the Bible says that everything in life is a gift, a gift to be thankful for. And if everything in life is a gift, then our priority should not be to possess and to collect and store all that we can. Rather, we should be thankful for that gift. Be generous with what we've been given. And see, greed distorts our priorities. And so in this parable, Jesus has clearly set this rich man up as selfish and greedy and with a worldview of selfishness. And at the end of the parable, Jesus shows how God responds. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. The turning point of this parable is that after he decided to build bigger barns to hold all this stuff, and committing to a life of eating and drinking and being merry, this rich fool ended up having his life taken from him. All the possessions in the world are pointless once you're dead. You don't enter into this world with anything, and you don't leave with anything either. And Jesus concludes his story with this wisdom statement. He says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. For this man, greed distracted him from his God-given purpose. And Jesus is warning us, his listeners, his people who read this story, he's warning us not to get distracted in the same way. As greed distracts us from our God-given purpose. Our purpose isn't in worldly possessions, but being rich towards God, in being generous towards others, in, in storing up treasures in heaven. God's purpose for this man's surplus wasn't for his own benefit. It was for the benefit of others. Augustine, one of the early church fathers and early theologians, used this quote in reference to the rich man's decision. Augustine says, He did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storehouses than his barns. He did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storehouses than his barns. Greed distracts us from our God-given purposes. And so Jesus told this parable to warn his followers of the futility of greed, to challenge the worldview of selfishness and to encourage us to embrace a worldview of stewardship. 
Jesus' intention for us is not to live a life of greed, but to live a life of generosity. Jesus saves us from the pointless pursuit of earthly possessions and saves us for a generous journey towards God's eternal plan. Uh, A little later, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives some more teaching about this point. He says in verse 33 and 34, He says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't hoard or hold on to or keep stuff just for yourself in this life. Be generous with what you have and bless others as you steward what you've been given. For Jesus, life is not about the pointless pursuit of earthly possessions. Rather, it's a generous journey towards God's eternal plan. And Jesus is challenging us to be a a conduit rather than a container. I know a number of you saw this being wheeled out and you uh, thought, what on earth is this all about? This this container is a, a representation of our life. And where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And there's two ways to live in this life, as a container or as a conduit. And for this rich fool in Jesus' parable, he lived as a container. And see, Jesus, oh God, pours out blessings into our life. He pours out blessings, uh, physical blessings. He blesses us with relationships, with family, all sorts of things. But he blesses us with wealth and possessions as well. And as you go through life, God pours blessings into your life. He he blesses us in so many different ways, and they come from a never-ending reservoir. God is always wanting to bless His people. But if you live life as a container, you just hold on to these things. You collect them. You harbor all of these blessings for yourself. You don't share them. You don't pass them on. You just keep them for yourself. And just as the rich young fool did in this story, oh, when the container gets full, he looks for a bigger container. And this is how the rich fool lived his life, from the worldview of selfishness, of greed, of it's all about me. This is what it looks like to live a life as a container, holding on to things, refusing to let them be shared, refusing to give to others. But there is another way to live. And that's to, to live as a conduit. Now we all know what a conduit is, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a vessel that allows movement. It allows flow. It deplace, displaces things from one place to another. You know, we, in our homes, all of our plumbing, underneath our sinks and our basins and our showers and all that kind of stuff, all of these pipes are designed to be a conduit for all of that water to be sent elsewhere. And Jesus encourages us to live our lives as a conduit, not to hold on to things, not to, to, to hoard things for ourselves, but to be a conduit of His blessings. Allow the things that He blesses us with to be poured out into the lives of others, to, to open our hearts and our lives, to, to allow the blessings that God pours into our lives flow through into the lives of others. 
We choose to, if we live as a conduit, we choose to bless others. We choose not to, to, to store up treasure just for ourselves, but to store up treasure in heaven. We live as a conduit when we realize that the, the own, we are only stewards of God's gifts. We live as a conduit when the blessings that God gives us flow through us into the lives of others. I'm just going to turn this off before I flood the stage, but you get the point. God calls us to live lives as a conduit rather than as a container. No, God wants to bless us. He wants to pour out in our lives so that we can pour out into others' lives. To live as a conduit rather than a container. To be wise stewards rather than selfish accumulators. There's a a great example of, of someone who lived as a conduit rather than a container right from the time of Jesus. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, the gospel writer described uh, the gospel writer Matthew describes Joseph of Arimathea as a rich man and a follower of Jesus. It is possible to be wealthy and follow Jesus. But Joseph was a wise steward of all the things that God had blessed him with. See Joseph of Arimathea lived as a conduit rather than a container. After Jesus' death on the cross and while his body was still hanging there, Joseph approached the Roman governor Pilate and asked for Christ's body. Matthew 27 tells us that Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Joseph was a very rich man, rich enough to be able to build a large tomb, to to have it carved out of the rock for him and his family. But Jesus, Jesus changed Joseph's life. Jesus saved Joseph from the pointless pursuit of worldly possessions. And Jesus saved Joseph for a generous journey towards God's eternal plan. And so as a follower of Jesus, Joseph decided to live as a conduit rather than a container. And he used this expensive new tomb for Jesus' resting place. He had no idea what was to happen next in the story. He donated, he gave his own family tomb for Jesus to be used. That would have prevented Joseph from ultimately using that tomb for himself. And in so doing, Joseph actually fulfilled a prophecy about the Messiah, the one called Christ, the one who would come and save the world. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus this way. He said, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, even though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Whether he knew it or not, Joseph generously used the things that God had blessed him with for the sake of God's kingdom, to fulfill a prophecy, to be a blessing to others. Joseph of Arimathea was a a conduit and not a container, and he played a part in seeing this prophecy about Jesus come true. I want to ask you this morning, are you living as a container or as a conduit? Are you living selfishly 
or as a steward? Uh, Where is your heart this morning? Together, Gateway is an incredibly generous church. Uh, We've seen that most recently, just last month at our our Thanksgiving Day, where, where we had so many red bags. People came forward, you came forward with bags of groceries to come and bless those in our community who are doing it tough. It was an incredible uh, display of generosity. We've seen how generous Gateway is this year with Gateway Beyond and how we, uh, we gave and pledged to give beyond these four walls, to see the message and the hope of Jesus uh, be taken out into our community, our nation, and around the world. And we see this generosity every week when people give and give sacrificially for the sake of God's kingdom. I want to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to those who give and and who give sacrificially to see God's eternal plan for our church and His kingdom come to pass. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, But there's also a heart check this morning. Uh, Where is your treasure? Where is your heart right now? Are you living as a conduit or as a container? And maybe you've been generous with the things that God has blessed you with in the past. But, but that tap has just inched a little bit more close and a little bit more closed every year. Or perhaps you're here this morning that, uh, that f- and fear and doubt has crept in. And your faith that God will continue to pour His blessings into, into, that, into your life, that's dried up. And you're fearful of being generous because you're not sure whether God is going to pour out, keep pouring out His blessings. Or maybe you're here this morning and that tap has just never opened. Like the man in the parable, you've been living your life as a container. And only just now are you realizing that Jesus calls, to, calls us to live life differently. Perhaps it's time to review your budget, to reevaluate where your priorities are and to, to change your perspective. How you respond to this parable this morning is between you and God. Uh, But I do want to leave you with with a final thought this morning, and that is this. Our purpose is not in what we have, but in who we know. More valuable than all the gold in the world. More significant than winning the Powerball jackpot. More worthwhile than all the possessions that we could ever own is knowing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I talked before about Joseph of Arimathea. He placed the body of Jesus in his own personal tomb. And he did that because Jesus had been executed on the cross. Jesus, the author of salvation, the the Son of God, the righteous one, he had been executed. Not because he did anything wrong, far from it. He lived a perfect life, but he was put to death because the religious leaders of the day were threatened by him. They didn't know how to respond to his ability to forgive people. They didn't know what to make of his miracles. They weren't sure how to deal with this growing crowd of people who were following Jesus. And so they executed him. But all along, that was part of God's plan. Because as He hung there on the cross. Jesus took on the sins of the world. 
His death wasn't just an execution. It was a sacrifice for all of humanity. And Jesus willingly went to the cross because he knew that as he did so, he would take on the sin of all mankind. He would take on the punishment of that sin for all who have lived and would live in the future. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for all the mistakes, all the missteps, all the mess, messing up that you and I have done. The sins of the world wore heavily on Jesus' shoulders. But the miraculous part is that he didn't stay in Joseph's tomb. On the third day, Jesus came to life again. He overcame the power of sin. He won victory against death. He conquered the grave. And Jesus rose again and lives once more. And he invites us into relationship with him. He is the one that blesses us. He is the one that pours grace into our lives. He is the one who sustains us and strengthens us. All we need to do is to accept his invitation to come into our lives. All we need to do is to say yes to Jesus. And so right now, I want to give you an opportunity to do just that, to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the grave, you will be saved. You'll be saved. Your sin will no longer separate you from God forever. And when you put your faith in Jesus, he washes away your sin and opens up an eternal relationship with your creator God. And as he does that, he gives you a purpose far above any other pursuit in life. And so I want to invite you this morning to accept his offer of life, to accept his amazing grace and invite him into your world to make you clean, to make you whole, and to give you a purpose for eternity. Can I just ask us to close our eyes and, and bow our heads this morning? If you were here this morning and, uh, excuse me, and God is working in your life right now, you might kind of experience some butterflies in your tummy. You might not really be sure what going, is going on, but you know that God is just tapping you on the shoulder and saying, will you accept my son Jesus into your life? I want to invite you right now, if that's you, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, can you just shoot your hand up in the sky? I'd love to pray for you, pray with you. I'd love to get some resources into your hand to help you make that, uh, to take those next steps on that journey. This morning, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I invite you just to raise your hand right now? Wherever you are in this room, raise your hand and just, uh, just accept Jesus into your life. Thanks. Up the back. See the hand. Bless you. Anyone else here this morning who wants to put, make this incredible decision, put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and choose to follow Him? Anyone else this morning? No, that's cool. Oh, I'd love to, to pray with you if you responded this morning, or maybe you didn't actually shoot your hand up, but you said, hey, I need that. 
oh, I'd love to pray with you, and I'd, uh, I'd love us all just to pray along uh, with, a, with a, a short prayer, a prayer that says, thank you, sorry, and please. Can we do that? If, if you stuck your hand up, please pray along with me, and why don't we all join in? I'm going to say a few words, and you can repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you into my life. I welcome you into my heart. I'm sorry for all the things that I have done. I'm sorry for the sin that has broken our relationship. But I thank you, Jesus, that I thank you that you have set me free. Please, would you show me how to live? Would you guide me? Would you bless me? Would you help me to follow you? In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.